0: back everybody to another episode of memory lane i'm your host noah hiles and joining us this week on the show is a voice that i'm guessing most of you are pretty familiar with when you uh hear him talk here it is penguins legend phil bork phil how are you today
1: no i'm doing well man i'm looking forward to this
0: yeah the old two niner as <laughs> they call you I, I would call you the the, the well-seasoned two niner you don't look oh, old that. to me That's yeah like So that. So, Phil, uh, prepping for this email uh, or email, this interview, I should say, um, I want to do, you know, you got to do research on your background. And I, I've seen you or I've seen interviews where you talk about your background and you grew up in Massachusetts or in the New England area, but you don't identify as someone who's from Massachusetts. You identify as a Pittsburgh guy. Is that correct?
1: No, my birth certificate says Massachusetts, but I don't feel like I was born there. Yeah. <laughs> no disrespect to my hometown. It's a- Small town, about 30,000 people, a little northwest of the city of Boston, Chelmsford, Mass. Uh, But I've been in Pittsburgh for so long. This will be what I think my 17th season coming up as a broadcaster on the radio side with the Penguins and 10 years in the organization as a player. So, you know, not quite, but uh, pretty close to half my life in the Berg. And uh, I just feel so at home here. So uh, so connected. To, to everything here, um, whether it's Penguin fans or Steeler fans or, you know, people who just like uh, cold beer, you know, <laughs> um, I just, I just find a, it uh, a place that uh, has all the things I'm looking for that I consider home.
0: Do you think that Boston and Pittsburgh are similar in that way where it's, it's, you know, two kind of blue collar towns, two very sports heavy towns, uh, you know, Boston's a lot colder than Pittsburgh, but they both, you know, have all four seasons. Do you see the similarities there between the two towns?
1: No, that's a good point, Noah. There's there's some similarities, and probably the the main thread that runs through each city is their passion for their sports teams uh, and the winning tradition from their sports teams. I kind of, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, that that's why people get so emotionally involved is because they've been to the promised land and they want to get there again um but as far as the personality of each city i think there's a a stark difference i really do uh i think bostonians have a certain uh chip on their shoulder you know where i'm gonna go with this you're shaking your head up and down Uh, they have a certain attitude um it's it's a little bit more than confidence I think it's a bit of arrogance, uh, which rubs a lot of people the wrong way. I don't hear that about Pittsburgh people. Uh, Do we have a little bit of a swagger and a bounce in our step? But, yeah, we've earned it, Uh, and it's more of a confidence than an arrogance.
0: So – in, in Boston, or in that area, I mean, that's a big hockey area, as is Pittsburgh is now. But when you were growing up, Pittsburgh wasn't that. But it, it was like that in Massachusetts, was it not? Was hockey pretty popular when oh, you were a huge. kid in that area?
1: Oh, it was huge. And uh, I was born in 62, uh, and uh, shortly thereafter, uh, Bobby Orr came to the Bruins, and they started winning Stanley Cups in the early 70s. So that's really when uh, I... I got my skates uh, sharpened the most in that area. You know, that's that's where I really decided, wow, this is the sport for me. Uh, because the Bruins were, were good and they were winning championships and they had some superstars like Phil Esposito and Bobby Orr. Uh, the Patriots weren't very good back then. Obviously the Celtics were uh, and the Red Sox were always fun to watch, but they couldn't win a World Series yeah. to save their life. Um, so hockey in that area was big, but I thought it was big when I look back in my childhood, you no, know, mostly because of the climate, we could skate everywhere. My dad would run the garden hose out of the basement, and he'd just flood the driveway. And I'd be out there skating all the, all the time. And then he built a rink in the backyard, uh, and that was up and running all winter long. Where you look at in Pittsburgh here, uh, I know some buddies of mine that build outdoor rinks, and uh, they're they're melted uh, four or five times during the wintertime. It's just such a crazy up and down climate that we have here in the Berg. But uh, yeah, hockey was huge back then. And it's even bigger now.
0: Do you think it's unique um, that maybe not unique isn't the right word, but do you think that you learned a lot of the game of hockey as a kid on a pond or in your backyard in a, you know, in a frozen backyard compared to kids now who they're learning every ounce of hockey in in a nice facility probably built by Mary, honestly, but uh, Mm -hmm. it, how, how does that, different differentiate. Is there any difference at all? Do you think you kind of learned hockey in a more air, organic way because Great of question. just learning it in the uh, backyard I like
1: style? I question. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I'm speaking just from experience, but I think about all the hours that I was, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, out on that driveway uh, sheet of ice. I mean, my dad eventually put spotlights out there. And then when we moved to a bigger house with a bigger backyard he used two by tens and sheets of plastic to build a rink back there Again, he had to put spotlights out there because me and my two younger brothers, you couldn't get us off the ice. I mean, we were, we just loved it. And we, we'd see things, Bru- see things the Bruins were doing. And we go out there in the backyard and try to duplicate it. And it, you know, we had some great pickup games that would get nasty and, and ugly and there'd be some blood in the snow. And, um, but that's all, that's all a part of it. Right now. Kids don't have that luxury so much, especially here in Pittsburgh. Uh, and the, there's a cost involved, uh, renting a sheet of ice. I don't know what it is 250, 300 bucks an hour, whatever it is. Uh, there's a heavy cost involved when the, whether it's the equipment or the renting of the ice. So that, that can hold kids back, uh, unfortunately. So yeah, that having that luxury to grow up in that area in that climate and to have a sheet of ice in my backyard, my whole childhood definitely wants definitely was a difference maker.
0: You mentioned your two younger brothers. You, uh, I heard that you have a brother named Ray, but it's not the Ray Bork that a lot of people know about. How, uh, how, how has that been living with that kind of you know, confusion? Because a lot of people probably see your last name, oh, they both played hockey, you know? Yeah. And how is that for him? Does he ever get asked if that's who he is or whatever?
1: Yeah. Before I answer your actual question, let me, let me back up a little bit. My whole childhood growing up outside of Boston, until 1978, my name was Phil Burke, and my nickname was Burkey. You talk to anybody I went to high school with, it's like, oh, yeah, Berkey this, Burkey, that. And all my family that were Borks were Burks. When Raymond Bork got drafted by the Boston Bruins, and you're right, spelled the same way, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, because of the pronunciation of his last name, it became the pronunciation of my last name. And so I became Phil Bork, I became Borky to my friends and it's, it trickled down to the rest of my family with the last name Burke. They all became Borks too. But yes, my youngest brother's name is Raymond Bork. Uh grew up in Boston and, uh, he will tell you how many shots of whiskey he has won in the bar. When people <laughs> say, Oh yeah, sure. You're Ray Bork. Show me your license. I'll buy you a shot of whiskey. He whip out his license and say, you know, pour me a stiff one. I'll make it a double. And, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Raymond Bork is a Hall of Fame defenseman that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud to have the last name. I'll be honest with you. But uh, I do have a kind of a elbow into the ribs type of joke once in a while. When people call me Ray, you know, I'll say, oh, no, I'm, I'm Phil Bork. I'm the Bork with two rings instead <laughs> of just one. So uh, but it's, it's all in fun. But Raymond Bork is one of my favorite players ever, ever to put on a uh, uh, pair of skates. Incredible defenseman.
0: Wikipedia says you guys are related. Is that true or no?
1: Yeah, distantly related. Okay. My my aunt on my father's side uh, did the whole family tree thing and found out he was my fourth cousin. I mean, it, no. Did you, you ever mean, you be growing up? Cousin. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, distantly related. Okay.
0: So let's talk about your career. Um, you, you you signed with Pittsburgh over the Boston Bruins, right? Both teams were interested in you. Yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh makes the offer a little sweeter, so you go with them. It takes you a couple years, though, to become an everyday player for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think four seasons before you played uh, 80 games. Was there ever any doubt maybe that, you know, it might not happen. I mean, you were very young, but did it ever get frustrating? I guess is the question. Where year after year, you're 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 on the cusp, but you never quite got there until I think it was what eighty nine.
1: Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, you did your homework. Yeah, I wasn't drafted. I was a uh, just an invite, and I got an invite from the Boston Bruins and one from the Pittsburgh Penguins. And uh, at the time, the Bruins were a pretty good hockey team. I was playing defense at the time. And as you know, the Penguins in the early eighties, they weren't very good. So I accepted that invitation to the Penguins. Part of it was, I don't wanna to get too much into this, but my dad and I, we had a uh, uh, abusive relationship. Let's kind of leave it at that. So to accept the Bruins invitation would have meant staying closer to home near my dad. So a big part of that was I need to spread my wings and get get away from there. And so that was another part of picking Pittsburgh. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, absolutely got frustrated. I mean, I made that drive from Pittsburgh to Baltimore and stopped in Breezewood so many times that I was on a first-name basis with the guy at the Sunoco station. Every time I come through there, uh, I get called up and sent down so many times. But you're right; I was kind of young and dumb. And I just I was just loving being a professional hockey player. Um, so I, I knew I had a way to go. Um, I don't know if there was a time until. Maybe right around 87, 88, when I kind of knew I was ready. Um, I do remember uh, I got sent down. uh, We were in Vancouver. This was probably right around 87 or 88. I was in Muskegon at the time. (laughs) And uh, I got called in and sent down. And boy, the the name is escaping me right now. Um, The head coach of the Penguins at the time. Oh, my goodness. Uh, The name will come. It doesn't matter. Uh, and when he sent me down, I was like, are you kidding me? You're si- what you're sending me down. I said, you're making a big mistake. And, and that's, I said it in the, with that kind of harshness, because I knew at that moment that I was an NHL player. I mean, it took me a while. Uh, I, you know, hundreds of games in the American hockey league and the international hockey league. Uh, but at that point I knew I was an NHLer uh, because I f- figured out what you had to do off the ice as well as on the ice to play in this league and and to play on a consistent basis.
0: Do you relate to the Penguins, guy? Because the Penguins have had players in that same situation over the last five years. And when you're – I mean, your situation was different because – the penguins weren't what they are now where these young guys who are trying to crack the lineup, I mean, they're competing to be on one of the best teams in hockey, but do you kind of feel for those guys who are young and they're up and down every year and they're just trying to finally trying to become that everyday player. Do you see that and feel for them?
1: Yeah. A couple of my favorite penguins uh, all time were uh, Pascal Dupuis and Chris Kunitz, both undrafted players uh, because of what they had to overcome uh, and all the people saying, uh, That Dupuis, he'll never make it. Ah, that Kunitz, he'll never make it. Because there's a lot of people that say, ah, that Bork, he'll never make it. Um, And so to prove those people wrong and not only do that, but to raise that uh, silver chalice over your head uh, not once but a couple times, it it makes it extra sweet. It absolutely does. Um, Because you're never given the benefit of the doubt. If you're a first or second rounder, uh, most teams, coaches, general managers will put you on the team just because of – where you were drafted and if you're an undrafted player you've got to blow them out of the water in training camp to even maybe just to maybe get a sniff in a in a preseason game and that's a lot of times that's all you need uh for most players is to you know impress in that that first time you get a sniff and uh but you you know that all the chips are stacked against you but that's what makes it so much better when you finally make it
0: I was talking with my co-worker, uh, Mr. Molinari, uh, about yeah. this, uh, b- about you before this interview. And I uh, said, you know, what, what are some things that you never got a chance to ask him? And he said, uh, you were a guy who could play D and O. Um, yeah. Did you, did you have a preference? Uh, which did you like more doing? Which did you think you're better at?
1: To be just right, honest with you, defense. I, I love playing defense. Uh, I was an offensive defense. So I love to rush the puck. Uh, I, I kind of felt like a quarterback, uh, and everything opened up in front of me and the play would just seem to be easier for me, uh, as a wing, there was just, it was a lot more work, you know, forechecking, backchecking. Uh, yeah, I mean, as a defenseman, you, you have time to kind of glide and, and kind of conserve your energy. And then there, you can burst and jump into play offensively. Uh, but that's one of the things my dad really pushed hard uh, when I was a kid growing up. was to play both play back and forth. He'd be in the coach's ear saying, put him on defense, put him on forward. Um, and it, it worked because it, it was second nature to me. Once I got to the NHL, it was nothing for a coach to tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, I need you to go play D. Go back to the defenseman, tap me down there and say, hey, I need you to go play forward. I'm like, well, this is what I did growing up My my whole childhood. It's no big deal.
0: That story, that hits home for me. I have a younger cousin who plays at a pretty competitive level. He just moved to uh, Indianapolis, and he's, you know, doing all that. I don't know the ins and outs of that. And he has, is in a similar situation where he's played, you know, O and D and just yeah, sure. that kind of versatility, I think. And that's not just in hockey. That's in any sport. In basketball, you could play, you know, down low, up top, yeah. or whatever. Just at a young age, learning that versatility, it, it makes you a fundamentally sound player. Well,
1: It makes you uh, uh, an asset. You know, just put yourself behind the bench as the head coach, you know, when you're when you're making out uh, that lineup card and you've got a guy that can play in multiple positions. And maybe let's say you have a defenseman that's dinged up and you're like, I'm going to put him in the lineup, but you know, I might lose him halfway through the game. What am I going to do then? Oh, I have that Bork kid that can, I can throw back on defense. I can sleep good at night. So it helped me get into the league and it absolutely helped me stay into the league to have that versatility.
0: I want to ask you about something that happened after your time in Pittsburgh. Um, you suffered a major injury off the ice. You, you fell is it 40 feet from a cliff. Yeah. Uh, can you, you, know, Some of the younger Penguins fans don't necessarily know about this. Can you explain what happened there?
1: Uh, this was the August of 1994. I was a member of the Ottawa Senators at the time, and I was out at Lake Powell, which is right on the Utah-Arizona border. I was with a, a bunch of uh, friends at, on a houseboat, and they also had a water ski boat. And it was going to just be a, a fun, crazy weekend um, before I had to go to Ottawa for training camp. So I'd been training all summer. I was in the best shape of my life. Uh, and before the festivities and uh, you know, just having a few beers and having fun, the weekend was going to start. I said, listen, I'm going to get one more workout in. I'm going to go run some sand hills." They were like, what are you nuts? Just relax. You, you're in great shape let's just have a beer and relax and have some fun. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to get one more workout in so I can be kind of guilt-free. That workout, sand hills led into me rock climbing, free climbing by myself. I heard it was a great workout. Um, kind of fast forward. I get up to the highest point. I'm waving down to the houseboat to let them know where I was. And i are like, come on back, come on back. So I was planning my route, Noah, and it was straight down and I was going to, shift my weight from the right to the left, then jump back to a landing on the right and then reevaluate my next move. Well, when I committed to go to the left, my footing, everything crumbled underneath me. I remember that free falling feeling, falling feet first. But on my way down, I hit my head on the back of a rock, fractured my skull three inches and it propelled me forward to do a face plant. So when I fell, my hands are on my side and I fell face first. Uh, And 40 feet, that's four stories straight down. When I came to, uh, I could feel the blood on my face and the heat uh, from the sun. And I was trying to peel my eyes open. I couldn't peel them open because the impact was so severe and my eyes were completely swollen shut. Uh, And I was going in and out of consciousness. uh, And I knew I was in shock also. So I just had to sit there and wait. Finally, they came and found me, all my buddies on the houseboat. Um, This took forever for them to find me, then go back down the mountain get in the water ski boat, find the park rangers, show them where I am. They got to hike up at the mountain to find me. They got to find a place where they can stabilize me in a basket. So the helicopter from Flagstaff, Arizona could come come and hook me in the basket and life me to Flagstaff where they found out I broke my neck in five places. Uh, the impact of the fall. I broke both my cheekbones. My forehead cracked like a potato chip, broke my nose. And um, was in was a really bad place. End of the story is uh, I ended up playing that year uh, because it was a lockout and the season didn't start till January, and um, that allowed me to rehab all my broken bones. And the doctor said if I wasn't in such great shape before going to training camp, I would have at least been paralyzed if not killed.
0: I mean, did you ever doubt that you would play hockey again after that? Of course. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Yeah, when when i was in one of those those big neck giant neck collars and my body was starting to atrophy um yeah absolutely uh, but slowly but surely I, I got back in the gym and like okay i can do this okay i can do legs okay i can do you know maybe some uh some sit-ups you know and I, it was little by little by little and i was able to do more and then i w- i was ready to roll i was ready to go um but uh i was at the point that would have been uh I would have been uh, 32 years of age. Uh, I think I was going into the last year of my contract. Uh, so there was a lot on the line. And inside, internally, Noah, I still wanted to play. My body was still telling me, we have, we have more to give here. You know, let's, let's see what else we can do. And I ended up playing six more years after that.
0: We're going to get right back to my interview with Phil Bork. But first, a word from our sponsors. you might've done more damage to the Stanley cup than anyone else in NHL history, just reading through and watching the videos and the conversations. I mean, Holy cow. A lot of people are scared to even drop the thing. Yeah. You threw it off of a, a waterfall into a pool. Yeah. Uh, and There's more stuff. Do you think anyone's given that thing more of a hard time than you? Oh
1: man. I, I actually, I hope so. I hope so. I, and I'm, I'm glad that, um, I'm considered to be up there as uh, somebody that had as much fun, if more fun, than uh, than we would hope. Um, but that was before, you know. They had the keeper of the cup. There's no guy with the white gloves that's and walking around. You're the around reason for that. doing. They just trust you're going to give it back. So, yeah, I was the guy that threw the Mario swimming pool in Mount Lebanon his house there. Um, also, I was the first guy to have my name scratched on the, uh, or engraved on the inside and outside. Um, I was about to return the cup before, uh, having some fun with it, if you know what I mean. And, uh, the, there was a, a little nut that came loose on the inside of the cup. So I put a pen light in my mouth, crawled inside the Stanley cup, repaired that the loose nut. But when I was inside, I noticed three French guys had engraved their name on the inside. They had repaired the cup back in the seventies. And it, it just said repaired by you know Jean Jacques Saint Louis and René Levesque and anyways the light bulb went off. I said if they can do it, I can do it. So I got the screwdriver out. It took me three hours to engrave "Enjoy it" in quotation marks. I put my name, Pittsburgh Penguins, ninety one champs.
0: Jesus. So that was the same year where you threw you threw that was the same off where you threw it into a pool. They yes. got it out. They had to like resilver it. Cause like the water wore it down and then you engraved your name in it. Yeah. Do you think that, I mean, in a way you created a job for someone because they, they don't have that guy with the white gloves if it's not for Phil Ford.
1: Well, no, like, I mean, I I don't, I I think the 1994 um, uh, New York Rangers, I think were the last team to have it without the security and the keeper of the cup. So I'll take some credit, but I think most of it goes to the Rangers for what they did in New York City with it. Uh, But what I take the most pride in is it's become tradition now that all five Stanley Cup celebrations, uh, as you know, all five have been won on the road. So as soon as that plane touches down at the FBO up in Moon Township, that cup goes right to Mario Lemieux's house. And you know where it goes, Noah? It
0: goes to the swimming pool.
1: In the pool in the pool. And so that's the tradition. Now, every single year, everybody knows uh, that that cup is going in the pool and everybody's, you know, taking their clothes off and jumping in and all kinds of craziness going on, but it's all in fun.
0: Did you ever take the cup into the river? Like you said, you, oh, su- yeah. like you suggested
1: yeah. I, I a funny story. Um, this uh, boat company called ski Supreme, they contacted a friend of mine, uh, Jim Boyer, who had a, a boat shop up in uh, Freeport uh, I said, hey, this company wants to make a custom-made boat, black and gold. They want to paint it, uh, but they want to know if you'll drive around Pittsburgh and the three rivers uh, with their boat and maybe put the cup in it. So, yeah, absolutely. I had the cup in there, and uh, I don't think I – I mean, obviously, I wouldn't throw the cup in the river because it would yeah. sink to the bottom. Uh, that would be a big mistake. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they'd forgive that one, but uh, I had it out on the river in a boat.
0: Uh, that line I heard that was an assist from Mike Lang. Uh, and did he tell you exactly what to say or he just said, say something memorable, right?
1: Yeah, that was at the point in 91 and Paul Staggerwall was emceeing and we didn't really know what was going on. And then we were told, "Hey, go up and, you know, uh, hold the cup up and show the fans. And we'd be, it'd be great if you would say something. And so I, I, forget somebody else had told us this and I, I made my way up. I was up next and uh, I was standing next to Mikey and he kind of stuck his elbow in my ribs a little bit. And he said, Hey, Borky, give him something to remember you by. That's all he said to me. You no, know, and that was it. And so I just, still didn't know what I was going to say. I was tongue tied, you know, and uh, my turn came up and I grabbed the cup and I looked at, what was it? 40, 50,000 people at the point and And that just came out of my mouth. Uh, hey, let's take this down to the river and party all summer.
0: Did you check in uh, 16 and 17 to see if your name's still inside?
1: Uh, no, actually, um, when I came back to Pittsburgh to be a broadcaster in 03, uh, there was alumni golf outing. And this is obviously when Phil Pritchard, the keeper of the cup, uh, was around. And uh, the the cup actually was at our golf outing. So I kind of made my way up to him. I'm like, hey, Phil, I'm Phil Borky. He goes, I know who you are. I said, hey, I got to ask you a question. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that I scratched my name on the inside of the cup. He goes, oh, yeah, we know all about you. Uh, I said, uh, I said, is there any chance it's still in there? He said, no, sorry. We have to take it out because the cup doesn't get any taller. Yeah. They remove the top large band. They flatten it out and put it in the hockey hall of fame. Uh, and so when they did that, uh, they buffed it out. Okay. So
0: you had a good view of both the penguins dynasties in the nineties, you played for them and these, this current run, you've covered it all. Um, and I'm sure you've been asked this question a million times, but if, if the 91, 92 Penguins, you know, you combine those two years into one and the 16, 17 Penguins play, who wins in a seven game series?
1: I've thought about this a lot because I've been asked this a couple times and my knee jerk reaction obviously would be our teams, right? In the in the early nineties, I'd still have to go with that. And the, the Trump card of all Trump cards is 66, right? I mean, uh, to me the greatest player to ever play the game I mean Mario I think at his best when he's healthy would dominate uh at and with any kind of rules um and I think even more without the clutching and grabbing that he had to endure in the early 90s and then also you look at that team I mean you widen the lens now that you know we're 30 years later uh you look at all the hall of famers you know, from Ronnie Francis to Paul Coffey to Larry Murphy to Joey Mullen. I mean Mark Recky. I mean the list goes on um and guys that maybe should be in the Hall of Fame when you talk about the Kevin Stevens and the Tom Barassos um it's just an incredible lineup I mean wh- when you're when you're living it day by day Noah, you you know you you're part of something special but you don't really know until you know players get voted into the Hall of Fame and 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 you really Take a step back and say, "Wow, man, that was that was amazing that I got to play with that many great hockey players." That's not taking anything away from the 16 and 17 team. I just think our high end talent that we had back then um, probably would have beat the 16 and 17 teams. Would
0: you say you maybe would beat them in partying as well?
1: Yeah, but that was that was the game back then. Yeah. I, you know what? I was actually out in the golf course today, and I was talking to a buddy of mine about that how it was back in the day. What a bunch of idiots we were! I mean, we go out and and we'd be out late drinking and having fun, and we were just kind of living the life. We weren't hurting anybody. We weren't doing anything stupid. We just like to go out, and it was it was our way of bonding. I know that sounds like a like a weak ass excuse of, of guys going out drinking, you know, but it's the truth. I mean, we really came together. You know, after a bad game, we go out and hey, let's go out and have a few beers, and we we would just have fun. It was harmless fun, uh, but. Yeah, when I look at the players now that treat their bodies like a temple, uh, when it comes to, you know, living that life of work hard, play hard, our teams back then would win in spades.
0: Uh, another thing that I think stands out about the 90s Penguins, uh, arguably the best hair out of any hockey team in the history of the game. Do you, do you agree with that claim?
1: Well, led by Yager, right? I mean, you got gotcha. to give it to him, right? Yeah. I mean, that was business up front party in the back. like Definitely knew uh but a lot of us you look at mario he had the flow you know paul coffee had some great flow i wasn't afraid to rock the mullet i mean that was that was the look back then and uh yeah we we uh we pushed each other pretty hard uh we give each other if you know if a guy's hair was a little bit uh funky someday he'd hear about it. but that was a great part about being in those locker rooms is we we gave it hard to each other but we were like a band of brothers you know we 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 take it Bad, but we give it right back, you know, and it was, it was a lot of fun, man. It was, it was check your ego at the door, man, because it didn't matter who you were, you know, how great of a hockey player you were, you were going to get it just like the next guy.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, as someone who wasn't around for those teams, I mean, all I have is the books and the the highlight tapes and everything, but I mean, they just look like the coolest group of people ever assembled. Um, You assisted one of the best goals in hockey history. And in your book, you talked about how you made it even harder for that goal to be scored. You said it wasn't a good pass. Uh, can you just take me through that play? And there's one specific thing I want to ask you about in that play. I'm sure you're going to talk about it. But just take me through that entire play, the Mario Magnificent goal.
1: Yeah, um, against the uh, Minnesota North Stars, Neil Wilkinson uh, gives the old, how do you do, see you later. Um Uh, It was a shot that came off of Tom Barrasso, bumped out to the slot. I corralled it, and, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to play with Mario, not on a regular basis, but now and again. And uh, in this game, I was was on the left side with Mario. And Noah, Mario had a certain way he yelled for the puck, and a lot of it was a yip. And if it was a quick yip, like a yip, you knew that meant get him the puck as quick as possible. It didn't have to be on this tape. Then it's another kind of a yip was like, yip, meant like, take your time. I want it right on my tape. Well, with this quick yip, I knew just get it up to him. And it's probably about four feet behind him. But with that incredible reach that he had, he was able to corral it. I was actually making my way to the bench for a line change when I was perfectly right behind him. So I had the best seat in the house. Uh, when I saw him kind of go into overdrive and kind of get a little bent at the waist as he did when he's picking up speed, uh, I knew, oh, boy. Here we go. This could be something special. And then Wilkinson and then Sean Chambers with the other defensemen. And then as my win made my way to the bench, I saw Sean Casey the goaltender come out with the poke check. I thought, "Oh, it's all over from here." And with that great reach, Mario was able to put that baby in and uh, I mean the the uh, Civic Arena that was called at the time just absolutely exploded. Uh, and is is it memorable. It's one of the yeah, one of the greatest goals ever.
0: I mean, that's kind of like it's crazy to think this way, but it was kind of like the series dagger. I mean, even though you guys were down one game to none, it was a, I think what was the score two two to one at that time, but Good. he puts that, he gives you guys a two goal lead and you even things up. And as you've mentioned numerous times, you, you were confident that you were the better team and just that game, putting that game away, that just the momentum carried over. And
1: Mario did that a lot. He, you yeah. know, he wasn't a big talker, um, he, he didn't really try to show up the other team or um, he, he was very stealth-like in the way that he um, you know delivered his greatness uh, and and rose to those moments um, and that's just the way he is. I mean you, you know how he is he, he kind of has a coolness about him and and uh, yeah that that was a special moment and, and it's such a great individual moment and Mario had so many of those great individual moments that, they weren't just great goals, and you, you make a great point. They were great goals at important moments of games that completely can change a game. And as you know, in a playoff series, you change one game, sometimes it changes the whole series.
0: What was it like to watch him? I mean, you were around for it. When, when he comes in and he transforms the Penguins, a team that – had never at that time, I don't think beat the Flyers at all. A team that had not done anything in the postseason. to now. I mean, they, they're regarded, to, they're the Yankees of hockey. I mean, they're, they're Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer, tons of Stanley Cups, tons of playoff appearances. What was it like to just kind of watch the birth of the rebranding of the Pittsburgh Penguins when yeah, he came I mean, in? It's
1: incredible. And it, it continues on. And I think, that's one of the many things that Mario's probably very proud um, about is to always be a penguin. I'm sure he could have gone other places for a whole lot more money, uh, but decided to be a Pittsburgh penguin for life. And now it uh, continues on in in an ownership role. Um, You know, the way he carries himself off the ice, I think also, uh, you know, I was actually on a, on another uh, interview earlier today. And I was asked about, Lemieux and Gretzky and the comparison of the two and I, I said I, I don't remember them actually playing against each other too much but I said you know and he, then he asked me he said what would Mario's legacy be what do you think his legacy is and I think he wanted me to talk more about the hockey side and I said you know really I think his legacy it would be about his foundation and about what he's done at Children's Hospital and his son Austin that was born so premature and how he's flourished now as a young man and um, you know, those Austin's playroom and, and all that and everything he's done off the ice and how he never left Pittsburgh. He still lives in Suwickley in the same house. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, and what he continues to do kind of behind the scenes, to me, that's his legacy. All the hockey stuff, you can go on YouTube and for, you know, 15 straight weeks, you can watch straight Mario highlights um, and there's more to come. Uh, but I think when it's all said and done, I think what he's most proud about is the way he's changed lives in Pittsburgh and has always been a Pittsburgher.
0: Are you able to compare it all, because you played with one, you've covered the other guy, uh, the legacies between him and 87? Uh, because when you were describing how Mario has this coolness about him, how he yeah. comes through in these big moments, how he, he is not necessarily vocal and he's just all about his business, I mean, that's very similar to Sidney Crosby, is it yeah, not? Right,
1: very similar. I try to, I, it's, it's not fair sometimes, but you get yeah. asked the question so many times about comparisons. Well, you know, who do you compare Sid to? Who do you compare Mario to? And you're right. There are so many similarities between Sid and Mario. And um, it's, it really starts with their, uh, their foundation of who they are as people uh, and how they, they, you know, they walk in their shoes every single day and how they just do the right thing. Have you ever heard a bad thing about Mario? No. Have you ever heard a bad thing about Sid? Maybe caught out in a bar late one night, maybe this with this girl or that girl. You don't hear that with Sid because he just lives his life on the straight and narrow. I tell you, it's it's inspirational inspirational for me, Noah. Um, and, you know, I find myself, this is going to sound really corny. Please don't laugh. Um, you know, that there's times in, in all our lives that we, you know, there's, there's the you know the good angel on one side and the devil on the other side you know and I really do find well what would Sid do here I know that sounds kind of corny but I always get the right answer because I know how he lives his life that he does the right thing and you know and and it, it's it's incredible that he never wavers there's such a structure and a discipline to the not just the way he lives his life uh, everyday life but then you take it to another level another stratosphere. And the way he lives his life and the structure and the discipline as a hockey player, uh, it's incredible. How long will he play? Who knows, Noah? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Here he is at 33. He could play till he's 40. I mean, uh, knock on wood that he stays healthy. But just the, the way that he is so disciplined and what he uh, puts into his body and the way he trains, we're, we're just so lucky to have him here in the Berg.
0: I, I just I was talking about this with my friends the other day and how insane it is to think when I was in, in fourth grade, I had posters on my wall of Sidney Crosby, LeBron James. Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger. And these are, you know, these are guys that are Hall of Famers, the best in their sport, and they're all going to be around. Albert Pujols, another one in baseball. It, it's just crazy how well they've been able to, I mean, especially for Brady, Crosby, Ben, and and uh, LeBron. I mean, they've all been at the top of their sport for their entire career and just how well they take care of themselves is a big part of that.
1: Yeah, and to play into your 30s and your 40s. It, I mean, all these guys you mentioned, they've made so much money. They could easily just say, I'm done. I'm going to go have some fun, but no, they love it. It's it's their life. It's their passion, um, and it's it's great to see, isn't it? It's great to see these yeah. guys. And there's a lot of stuff that we don't see when the cameras are not on. On, on what on what they do to get themselves ready for whether it's every Sunday or or you know playing three games in four nights, whatever it may be, whatever your sport is. And the, those athletes that you talked about that at the head of their class, uh, they don't just you know, wake up in the morning and they're great. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, to God, take his finger and touch them at the top of the head and say, I'm going to give you a bunch of tools to be great. Yeah, absolutely. But the way they work at their craft uh, is is incredible. You know, I thought I worked hard as a player. I really did. I never had one one hundredth of the skill of Sidney Crosby, but I worked my tail off, man, to get to the NHL and stay in the NHL. And I watch how hard this guy works and how much talent he has. Sid could just – Sid could do nothing and throw his skates on the ice and still be one of the best players, but that's not good enough for him. He's going to – he is going to sweat and he is going to burn and he's going to work his tail off every single day to be the best that he can be because that's what makes him tick.
0: Speaking of guys playing – Late, 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 long careers. Um, You had a chance recently to catch up with one of your older teammates and watch him play overseas, Yamir Yager. Uh, Can you take me through that experience, what it was like reconnecting with him uh, and then watching him play overseas for the team that he owns?
1: Yeah, I'll try to make it quick. Um, Last year during the uh, bi-week slash all-star break, um, my girlfriend Allie and I, um, we played in Philly, and we stayed in Philly after the game. Next morning, caught a flight to uh paris france stayed overnight next day caught a flight to prague czechoslovakia uh and went to see Jaromir jagger who owns the kladno team just outside of prague went and saw him play in a uh, czech league game and uh afterwards saw him up in the vip suite spent an hour and just bs with him and caught up and I let him know how much he's loved in Pittsburgh, and he kind of shook his head, "No, no, no." I said, "Yeah, you're loved in Pittsburgh, and they want your jersey to get retired in the rafters." And so we had a nice little talk—a real nice heart-to-heart talk. And so after that, we did a little bit of tour of, of Italy and and a couple other countries, and and made our way around. But um, yeah, that was it was a it was a sprint of a of a race of a trip over in Europe. But uh, I got to spend some time. There's only one night in in Prague. Uh, and if you've never been there before, Noah, I highly, highly recommend it. I'm definitely going back. Once all this craziness stops mm-hmm. in our world, I'm definitely going to go back to Prague because it's an absolutely gorgeous country. And who knows, Jager might still be playing. He's going to be, I think 49, I think 48 or 49 in February. He told me he wants to play until 50. And after he hits 50, he's done playing. He said, he'll come back to Pittsburgh and he'll accept uh, the Jersey going up to the rafters.
0: Yeah. He wa- he said, uh, he wants there to be a lot of applause when that happens too, right? It Which I don't be. think will You're be. Right. An issue. I know
1: the yeah. penguin fans. Yeah, don't forget him being a ranger and a flyer and a capital, mm-hmm. and uh, it'll be a, a, an incredible night, I'm sure.
0: That's one of my earliest memories as a sports fan is when he got traded away, and like my dad, I was like in second grade, him explaining why he wasn't a penguin anymore. But yeah. I'm, I'm excited to have that moment when he. Has his number retired? Uh, to wrap this up, I want to talk about your your second career after hockey ended. You get into broadcasting. Um, my my, fr- how did you start with that? Because you got your start in Wilkesbury, right?
1: Uh, no, but I did. I did go to Wilkesbury my first couple of years when the Penguins did not make the playoffs. Oh uh, three, oh four. Flurry's first year was my first year as a broadcaster. Okay, uh, I finished my playing career in Germany retired in 2000, uh, had a tough time finding a job to be quite honest with you, went three years without a paycheck. Um, and it just it just didn't happen for whatever reason. Ended up picking up the phone called Mario Lemieux and uh, um, he was able to uh, kind of open up some doors for me, so to speak. And so uh, I was able to land the, the radio job when Eddie Olczyk got hired to be the head coach, came out of the TV booth. Bob Erie went from radio to TV. I slid in on radio. Uh, and been there ever since so to me it's a dream job it's all I wanted to do after I retired I didn't have a burning desire to be a coach or anything else I tried some other stuff selling digital scrolling signs and and trying to flip houses and all that stuff it wasn't for me Uh, I knew I wanted to be a broadcaster and I I love it more than I can even express in words you
0: have a pretty uh good partner to call games with as well um I wanted to ask you who is better at his craft. Mike Lang or Mario Lemieux?
1: Oh, come on. Because both are arguably the best yeah, of all time not, at what they do. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna bail on that question. That one's not fair because it's it's they're equally uh at at the head of the table, the really. Um you know, there's been some other great great broadcasters and including Doc Emmerich who just retired. Uh but you know, my flavor and we all have different flavors, just like the way we think of the best player in the world. You know, do you want that offensive guy? Do you want the the strictly goal scorer like an Ovechkin? Do you want the complete player like a Mario or Sid? Uh, but the way I like to listen to a hockey game is the way Mike Lang calls it. I like the little things in there. I like that he kind of sprinkles in, you know, a little bit of a Pittsburghese, if you will, um, you know, with the fry up the jumbo Homer and turtle crick and all that. Uh, I, I love all that. It's not – Over the top. It's not flagrant. It's not trying too hard. It just oozes out of Mike Lang. Um, And he he calls a hell of a game. What I love about Mikey is um, he he has a heart of gold. Uh, He doesn't let a lot of people in. He's a very, very private person. Uh, And I always sit on his right. And uh recently, the last couple years, I have found myself kind of just you know gazing at him a bit and just in awe when he's making a signature goal call. Um, just not knowing how many more I'm going to get with them because you know, Mikey's health has not been great. He's still good. He's still good. I talked to him the other day, uh, but obviously his health is, is not great. So um, he'll, he'll probably dial down his, he won't probably travel on the road anymore. Maybe dial down the home games a little bit, but uh, he's still itching to get back in there again. And um, to me, my flavor, the way I like a hockey game broadcast would be by Mike Lange.
0: You talked about taking that in, watching that. It, 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 similar to what you did with the magnificent goal, right? Where mm-hmm. you're just watching it, you know, yeah. something special is happening. That's really uh, you cool.
1: want those memories because you know it's yeah. not going to last forever. And you know um, that there's certain goal calls, or certain goal scored that they'll be talking about them. Here we go, 30 years later, 29 years later, whatever it is. You no, know, we're still talking about that Mario goal. And, uh, you know, people in 20, 30, 40, 50 years will still be talking about Mike Lang goal calls.
0: Do you plan on uh, sticking around as a broadcaster for a while? Is this something uh-huh, yeah. that you truly still love? Have
1: me. Uh, I don't want to do anything else. I've been asked uh, to, to maybe sniff around in coaching. It's not what I want to do. Um, I like job security. I like being in the burg. I don't want to go anyplace else. I wouldn't mind maybe, you know, trying my, my hand at maybe a little national stuff and maybe the NHL network or something like that. You know, that might be fun to do. Uh, but I'm a Pittsburgh guy. Like we started off the interview and, um, you know, I want to I want to talk about my favorite team, the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I can be tough on guys, but I'm brutally honest. And I think that's what people like about me is if I'm going to critique and I'm going to be a little bit negative, I'm going to tell you why. And I'm going to tell you what should have been done. And, uh, you know, I always try to remember that that player's mom and dad and sister, brother, wife, uh, their kids are all listening. So when I'm hard on a player, uh, I speak from the heart. And I think that's where people think I'm real is it's I'm not a phony baloney. I'm not a homer. Um, you know, I cheer for the Penguins more than any other team. Absolutely. I wear the, the black and gold. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm just brutally honest, uh, and I just want this team to win. And I want players to play their best. And if they don't, I'll tell you why. But when they do, uh, I'm going to be the first one to say how great of a play it was.
0: I'm looking at my phone, and I'm not ignoring you, because my final thing was I noticed you're back on Twitter. You've yeah. been, you've, been, you've been getting in the mix. I wanted to shout out your social media for those who yeah. don't already follow you. It's uh, at P bork 29 uh, yeah. and uh, not, not Burke, Bork 29. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so be sure to give him a follow there. Uh, I, I liked your question you asked um, during election night. What, what was every, What were you drinking during election night?
1: Um, I had some uh, I had a, a, a little bit of Woodford neat, and yeah. uh, I had a little uh, blue light just to kind of balance it. And I was just, I was just sipping. That's all it was. It, I mean, I, I really don't drink to get drunk anymore. Uh, I, have I've understood why people really enjoy a good whiskey now or a good bourbon. It's just, I find it very relaxing, just something to sip on to kind of, uh, end your hectic day. So I had a little bit of Woodford, uh, and a little bit of, uh, Labatt's blue light.
0: I, 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 myself, uh, yourself, I'm not. I'm not classy like I was just drinking icy light. But okay. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 that that tweet hit home. Well, Phil, thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure a lot of people enjoyed this, and uh, I myself and many others are looking forward to hearing your voice uh, on 105.9 The X here whenever the Penguins get back in action.
1: Yeah, hopefully soon. I enjoyed it. Noah, this was good hockey talk. <laughs>